We're in Galatians chapter 4, and we are talking about our Savior, Jesus Christ. And I chose this passage for our study through this Christmas season, that Christ came at the right time, the exact time that God had said so. I have heard missionary stories, and you have too, where missionaries finally got into a place in the world that was hard to get into, and they're proclaiming the message to a group that had never heard it in their generation or the generations before, and uh, the question is always, what took you so long to get here? If you had only been here, you know, when my mom and dad could have heard this, or my grandpa, grandma could have heard this, and, and some people say, well, is our timing off? I don't know about what we're doing on our side, but I do know what God did on His side. And it was perfect timing. And I believe He always operates that way. And here in Galatians 4, verse 4 and 5, uh, it says it again. When the fullness of the time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that He might redeem those who were under the law, that he that we might receive the adoption as sons. Now, keep your finger right here and just turn a couple of pages to Ephesians. It's just a couple. Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 4, 5, and 6. Ephesians 1, 4, 5, and 6. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the kind intention of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. Keep your bookmark there. We'll be right back. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word for declaring to us so clearly the message of our Savior's birth, what it means to us. Today we're going to spend some more time looking upon it and pray that you'll challenge our hearts with it and encourage us and again bring us to a place of thankfulness and praise. For you deserve the glory. You deserve all this. As we just read in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6, it's all to the praise of your glory. May it be so from our hearts today, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, again, we're looking at a big event that's recorded in Scripture as happening at the right time. Just like we saw last week, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. At the right time, He was born. In the fullness of time, we see in Galatians 4, Verse number 4. And that too, as I've said several weeks in a row now, the Christmas story is evidence that we have a God who is omniscient, omnipotent, and in charge. And He hasn't changed. We have that same God today. And so as we look at this passage, we talk about the fullness of time. That means the cup was full to the brim. God had specifically waited for this time to be ready. And I wonder what that was like up in heaven. I know our God's not an anxious God. But 
when you anticipate something happening and you're looking forward to it, it's kind of hard not to watch the clock or count the days. How many days till Christmas? Sarah, you told me. Ten days, see? You've you got to keep track. Is it coming? Is it coming? The Lord knew. But I wonder, if you're waiting there three days before, if you're just anxious, anticipating, the Lord's not like that. I would be. Aren't you glad I'm not your God? I'd be a mess. You guys wouldn't know what to do with me. He had everything in complete control, down to the right moment. That's what it says. When it was ready, when the time was full, when it was complete, when it was filled to the brim, at that time. And that was a certain time. And he had to know when that time was. At that time, he acted. He sent his son. At that time, born of a woman, he sent his son. Born under the law, he sent his son. And yet when we get to verse number 5, he records for us something beautiful here because there are two purposes set before us. The first purpose we saw last week, so that he might redeem those who were under the law. That was his purpose. At the right time, knowing when it was, knowing it was ready, he had a plan to send his son. And that plan had his son being born of the woman. That plan had him being born under the law. That plan was so that he might redeem others through his son. That was his plan. As you can obviously see, it wasn't an accident, was it? God initiated this. He knew what was going to happen. God sent. His son was sent with a purpose. Sent on a mission. Something God had already planned for him to do. At the exact moment of the Father's will, when he said it was right, the son was born. I just love repeating all that to you. Because to me, that's very impressive. I like to mark it. He had a plan that his son would be born when the law dominated. You see it too, born under the law. There were many years available, by the way, for God to have chosen that if he wanted to. The law was given back in 1445 B.C. That's a long time for there to be a law. God waited nearly 1500 years before he sent his son under the law. He watched his people fail under that law. He saw the zeal of Joshua. He saw the corruptness of the days of the judges. He saw the struggles and the sins of the kings. He saw the distress of the captivity. He saw the complacency of the last 500 years of the people during the Old Testament era. But it was the dominance of the Pharisees concerning the law, who added and added and added the burden on the back of the people. They misused his word. They set the people in bondage like they had never seen it before. That's when God said, this is the right time. This is the right time for me to send my son. Now we know, 
We're not under the law. We know that from understanding God's word. The expectations that we live up to the law have not been placed upon us like it was upon them. But we have overwhelming evidence, as we saw last week in the book of Romans chapter 3, that no one could live up to the law anyway. The problem the Jews had, we have too. Because we cannot keep God's word perfectly. We're all sinners, and what does it say of them? They fall short of the glory of God. We could point the finger at them, but it comes back at us. Because it goes on to say in Romans chapter 3, it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. That's verse 10. Verse 19 and 20. We know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed, and all the world may be accountable to God, because by the works of the law... No flesh will be justified in his sight, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. In other words, everyone is condemned. Everyone is condemned by the law. They couldn't fulfill it. What a perfect time to send the Savior. What a perfect time for that. He sent his son, and his son did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Perfect timing. We read that. We rejoice in that, but we step back and say, yes, God had a plan. God had a plan for redemption through his son. And we see that clearly in verse number five, don't we? So that he might redeem those who were under the law. I praise the Lord for that. I praise the Lord for that. Mark this, if you will. Just mark it in your mind. If you don't mark it someplace else, mark this down. He didn't send his son to put a red day on our calendar so that we have a holiday and a day off. It doesn't say that. Too often, we celebrate the birth of Christ without reference to him saving us. And these go hand in hand because that's the purpose of his coming. He's a savior, right? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. It was declared that way from the beginning. He was coming to save. He was coming to save. He was coming to save. So don't separate that from your Christmas celebration. We say, but that's Easter. No, that's his death and resurrection. Yes, that brings it about. But why did he come? To be our Savior. That was his purpose. What a great purpose it is. And that shows you again that God's in control of these things. He acted with a purpose. He knew what he wanted to do. His great plans, believe it or not, included your redemption. The story wouldn't be complete unless that is part of the picture. Isn't that great? You're part of the Christmas story. Did you know that? You are the answer to the purpose that God had set in place. I just love to think that way. Now throw my glasses. I'm getting so excited. Okay. We talk about redemption in Scripture. It means to buy out of the marketplace. It means to rescue the lost. There's some great words that we attach to our salvation. But just note, folks, it's not something done accidentally. It's not some, some great wonder 
that just happened on you that you are saved. We have to step back and look at this carefully because salvation wasn't my idea, folks. And it certainly wasn't your idea. It wasn't our idea at all. Matter of fact, Ephesians tells us what our plans were. It says in chapter 2 of Ephesians that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. That's where he found us. Dead in our transgressions. And in verse 5 of Ephesians 2, we were dead in our transgressions, and while we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Let's put the initiative on him. He did it. He did it. I don't know how else you want to interpret that, but it clearly implies to me that I'm not taking credit for this salvation thing. I didn't plan it. I didn't bring it about. He did. And what's so exciting to me is he thought of it far, far beyond my time schedule. Because we just saw in Ephesians when I read it to you. It was before the foundation of this world. He had already chosen you. Try to wrap your brain around that a little bit. Wow! That's part of his plan. What would it be if the Lord had not initiated this whole thing? What would it be? What would it be if he hadn't paid attention to time? What if he hadn't acted at the right time and sent his son at the right time to redeem us as he did? What if he hadn't been in control of it at all? Might he have missed the opportunity? Might we have missed our salvation? What if God waited for it to happen? Think of it this way. Say he wanted you or me to initiate this whole thing. How likely would that have been? I'm afraid he'd still be waiting. Because that's, that's about the initiative we put into it. Being dead in our sins does not suggest that we're very active in doing anything. Certainly not active in trying to find life. I think it's a powerful statement in Scripture. Because when I look at this purpose, that He would redeem those who are under the law, I stop and say, hallelujah for that. He is sovereign. And He's so gracious. And He's so loving. That He would do this in His great plan for me, for you. That He should redeem us. Amazing. Amazing. That's the great purpose that we see in the first half of verse number 5. I want to move you to the second half of verse number 5, especially this morning. By the way, that was just to prep you up for the rest. You ready? I get real excited about this. That we might receive the adoption as sons. That we might receive. I love that word we, don't you? That we might receive the adoption as sons. The word receive here, it's a little more potent than the average word to take or receive. Lambano is the word for take or receive. It's got an apo in front of it, a preposition stuffed on the start of it. And many times that's to intensify it. And the full definition is something like this, that he might, or that we might receive in full. 
Think of that for a minute. That we might receive in full the adoption as sons. You're not kind of adopted by the Lord. (laughs) You are completely. And doesn't that just fit the whole narrative anyway? If he's doing everything else completely, shouldn't this be complete too? It's that perfect when you start putting the pieces together of what he has done for us. When you travel a great distance to spend time with your parents at Christmas, or maybe your children are coming to you, grandkids now, they come to the door. Do they knock? Do they ring the bell? Do they, do they wait for you to answer the door? And then when you do, they introduce themselves? Shake your hand? And then wait for you to invite them in? You know better. You know how it works. You go this great distance to travel to see your relatives, or your relatives come a great distance to see you. They don't push the doorbell. They don't knock at the door. Matter of fact, by the time they're pulling into the driveway, usually it's the parents coming out of the house. Is it like that at your house? You go rushing out to meet them. They hardly get out of the car and they're trying to unfold. You know how that is. And you've suddenly got arms around your neck. You've got this aggressive greeting of love. Isn't it a beautiful thing to watch? My kids have traveled quite a ways this couple of days. Kentucky for Megan and Paul from South Dakota. On the same day, they're coming from two different sides of the country. Dad sits at home a little bit. Well, he prays a lot. But he's anxious to see those headlights come into the driveway. That, that thrills me to say, yes, thank you, Lord, for a safe journey again. And he's blessed us so many times before. But when they come out of the car, you get a chance to wrap your arms around their neck. You say something about it being cold outside. Let's get inside quickly. And you go inside, take the coats, and make themselves at home. I want to ask you just a simple thing. I gave you two pictures here. What do you think it means when God says that he has received you? As sons. It's a very aggressive term. I'm very sure you're not the one knocking on the door waiting for God to answer it. Waiting for him to introduce himself for you to introduce yourself to him. This is a very aggressive, loving reception. That's what he's done. He's received. We've received. He has given. We have received the adoption as sons. We're not strangers. We're sons. That was part of his plan. Part of his plan. That whole welcoming concept. Set it in the nature of these words. That we might receive the adoption as sons. What if he had simply made us his servants or slaves? Greek word is doulos. I like that word. That's a singular word for a slave or a servant. 
a bond slave, a loyal servant. I would suggest to you that if that's what he chose to do, it would be an honor to be called his servant. The Apostle Paul used that all the time. When he wrote his letters, and of all people, he wrote to the Romans who understood the whole concept because they're the ones that made a lot of people the doulos. Paul, he writes, in Romans 1.1, a bond servant, a slave of Jesus Christ. He took that as an honor to wear that designation, I'm a slave of the Lord. I'm a slave of my Savior, and I would gladly be that. If that's the only term we ever received, I'd be happy with it. I'd be very happy with serving Him. What if He said, no, no, I'll I'll make it even better. I'll make you my disciple. A disciple is a learner. One who follows behind and has much to learn, and you'd agree with me, we have a lot to learn, don't we? Being a disciple would not be a bad thing. That we get a chance to learn these things from God. Hopefully, we would do it different than Peter. Right? Peter got in trouble several times at saying things. And, of course, we wouldn't do it that way. But we would probably be satisfied with being a learner. Being a disciple who sits at his feet and gains wisdom from his teaching. Wouldn't you like to just be that? That would be great. To sit and learn, to sit and learn. I think there was a sister who said that's a good place to be. Right? What was her name? Mary. What was her sister's name? Martha. Mary chose to sit at his feet and learn. You say, that's a good place to be. Say, okay. I could have been a slave, and that would have been great. I could have been a disciple. That would have been great. What if he had said, no, no, no. I'm going to make you an apostle. Not like you hear in modern churches today, or you know, people boast about that little term and do what they want. The technical term for apostle is one sent with a message. And I think that would be great to be somebody who the Lord says, I need you to take this message to somebody. In a sense, you're a servant. But in another sense, you're carrying a treasure with you. As Paul would say, we carry a treasure in earthen vessels. We carry a, a, a Important message on behalf of our commander. He tells us to carry the message. And that's really a precious thing, is it? Wouldn't you like to be designated as one who's sent with a message? That'd be a great message to tell. And no doubt the Lord has sent us into all the world to preach the gospel, hasn't he? In that very sense, you're like an apostle. You're sent with a message. And that's a privilege to be the bearer of good news. Our world needs good news. Who has it? We do. You're sent with that message. And I would say to you that if he chose us just to be apostles, to carry his message, that would be a glorious profession. What if he had simply just made us his friends? He says, no, I want you to be my friends. The Lord said it several times to his disciples, didn't he? He'd say, you are my friends. You are my friends. Here's one good example. John, or John yeah, chapter 15, verse 13. There is no greater love than this, 
that a man lay down his life for his friends. Isn't that what Jesus did? What's that make you? His friend. His friend. That's a precious thing, isn't it? The Greek word is a dear one. A dear one. One who is loved. That's a friend. And then he also said in John 15, verse 14, the very next verse, You are my friends if you do what I command you. I like to think that you're my friends. It's a privilege to to have this relationship with you, with one another here as we serve our Lord, working beside you. It's a treasure to me. It's a treasure to me. The Lord did not just throw that term out to anybody like Facebook people. I don't know how they have 700 friends or whatever they, you know, how they do that. The Lord didn't just be careless with such a term. He would say, you are my friend to specific people. And I think that would be real treasure to acknowledge that we're his friends. We're his friends. All these designations are true, by the way. In Christ, you are a servant. In Christ, you are a disciple. In Christ, you are an apostle. In Christ, you are a friend. Those are great designations. Special relationships that you have with the Lord. All that is true because God sent His Son. And He has received us. Notice, it could have said as servants. He has received us as disciples. He has received us as apostles. He has received us as friends. But look at the text again and tell me what it says. He has received us as what? Sons! Look at that term! Sons! That's how He's received us! Sons! It's a great word. Compound word of son and the verb to place. To place as a son. To adopt. By the way, people who adopt don't do it on a whim. People who adopt don't accidentally, inadvertently fall into it. Like, wow, where'd that child came from? I have no idea. It's not like that. Even in our legal process, it takes the intentional actions to go through the process. There's a cost. Some of you have been there before. There's a cost. It takes time. There's a process to move a child from being a stranger to being a son or a daughter, right? It's done on purpose. It's done intentionally. In other words, put it down on our page here, God intentionally chose you. He intentionally chose you. He paid the cost. He took the time, and He acted at the right time. And through the whole process, He acted that He might claim you, not as a servant, not as a learner, not as an apostle, not as a friend, but as a son. He chose you. Back again to Ephesians. You left your finger there? Bookmark. Look at these words. He chose you. He chose us. 
In Him, verse 4 says of chapter 1. Timing before the foundation of the world. And then He had to wait for the right time for His Son to come so that He might receive you as His Son. He knew you were coming all along. And He waited. Aren't you glad He did? He waited. He chose you. Don't, 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 again, don't start taking credit for this whole thing. Because he did it before you were born. Unless you were born before the foundation of the world. Who can admit that? Before this world existed, God chose you. Wow. Notice the rest of this phrase. That we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, He predestined us to adoption as sons. Mark this too. Everything God predestines happens. Just like He said it would. Just like He said it would. When we get to heaven, there's not going to be one seat empty because somebody missed. Because if God has predestined it to happen, it will happen. And that's amazing to me. I love looking at salvation from God's side because it makes me feel so much better. If it was based on me, you know what it looked like? If it was based on you, what would it look like? It'd be a pretty good mess, wouldn't it? We'd be saved every other day. Maybe not even that often. Because we, we go through that. This is in His department. He predestined it. I love these words. He had predestined us in adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself. There is a picture of love. To Himself. According to the kind intention of His will. To the praise of the glory of His grace. Which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. That's why He sent His Son. That's why he sent his son. Some of you take notes, and I appreciate that. There's something you might want to write down, because you might want to go through this again. You might want to look at this, but I want to show you four verses that sum up Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 and 5. Four other verses, and it fits this way. You ready? Why did God send his son? First put Isaiah seven fourteen. What's that? It says, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. What's that mean? God with us. Isaiah 7.14, God with us. Second one, John 1.14. And the word became flesh. And dwelt among us. And we saw his glory. Glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ became like us. He took on flesh. He became like us. He took on flesh. That was very important in God's plan. That he be here with us. And that he be like us. First John 3.2 
Beloved, now we are children of God. It has not yet appeared what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we shall see him just as he is. We will be what? Like him. We will be like him. One more, John fourteen three. I go and prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also, so that you are with him. So that you are with him. You ready for the big picture? God has sent his son. That he may be like us, that he may be with us, so that we may be like him, so that we may be with him. Isn't that the beautiful picture that it's us before us? God sent his son, that he may be like us, that he may be with us, so that we may be like him, so that we may be with him. That's his purpose. That's his purpose in sending his son. Notice how it gets rather personal, doesn't it? So that we can be like him. So that we can be with him. He's adopted us as sons. God's great purpose. Intentionally chosen in his son. At the right time. So that we can be sons too. I'm very glad to see that in scripture. I'm very excited to read those things. Because that's why he came. That's why he came. Intentionally set by the Father. There's omnipotence for you. Not that God could just plan a good Christmas day. But to know that it answered the need of man before the world began and carries all the way into eternity. That's power. And talk about omniscience. That God could know you before he even created the first animal, the first tree, the sun, the moon, this earth that you're living on. God knew you and chose you. That's omniscience. That's omniscience. And if you want to talk about love, that's love. That's love. He loved me enough to send his son to bring about this great purpose in my life. That's what he's done. Do you see it in this passage? When the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, that He might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. That we would be holy, that we would be blameless before Him. And in love He predestined us to the adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. To himself, according to the kind intention of his will, 
to the praise of the glory of His grace. You know what? That's the only thing we're called to do in the whole passage, is to praise Him. All the rest He's doing. And it comes down to our response. Praise Him. Praise Him for what He has done. Praise Him for His grace. Praise Him for His planning. Praise Him for the initiative. Praise Him for His omniscience. Praise Him for His omnipotence. Praise Him that He was kind enough to love us. Praise Him for sending His Son. Praise Him for choosing us. For putting us in a relationship as a Son. That we have a future with Him. Praise Him for what He has done. Praise Him for the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. You want a definition of a gift? You just heard it. He freely bestowed it upon us in the Beloved. Folks, I don't know what else could get you excited this time of year. But this excites me a great deal. I love to read these things. To know that my Savior loves me. He loves me. And He loves you too. And I hope you know Him. I hope you know Him. We talk about this time to time. We bring it up and remind you again. You need to receive Christ as your Savior. He came that you might say yes to all these things. Say, yes, the Lord has done this for me. Yes, I rejoice in all this. Recognize it. Jesus Christ came to save the lost. And if you're lost today, he's here for you. He's here for you. Talk to him about that, would you please? If you don't know Christ as your Savior, turn to him right now. That's why he came. That you might know him. That you might know his Father. So that you have eternity with him forever. It's a beautiful thing. I hope you have that gift. That you have received it from him. Heavenly Father, What a precious thing it is to read. What a precious thing it is to know. Thank you for what you have done in sending your Son for us, that we might be sons of God. There is so much we could learn about this topic, but today it's enough just to prompt our praise. And we praise you, Lord, for it. Thank you. Thank you so much for your great love for us. We give you the glory today, throughout this day, and the weeks to come. May it just bubble out of our hearts. May people see a reason for our praise, so that we're quick to say, yes, the Lord has saved me. He's come to be like me. He's come to be with me, so that I could be like him, so that I could be with him. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.